The fog of war sets in, the Ukrainian conflict heats up, and so does the propaganda war playing out on social media. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into the program. So before we get to the meat of the program today, where I'm going to talk about the conflict in Ukraine, I'm going to talk about Putin's aggression, and I'm going to talk about the unbelievable propaganda that we are being inundated with from all sides on social media. Before, I just want to mark today. Today is March 1st. Today marks the end of the ill-conceived and liberty-restricting vaccine passport regime in Ontario. Let us never return to this dark place in our t- in our history where we had a two-tiered society, where we restricted and prohibited citizens from participating in society, participating in our community based solely on their vaccine status. Ryan O'Connor, a lawyer who's friend of the program, we had him on last week, he wrote this. Today marks the end of the rational and anti-science mandatory vaccine passport in Ontario, which only existed because unelected medical officers of health lobbied for it. Never again should Ontarians be denied access to our community based on their vaccination status. Amen to that. Let us never return. Okay, let's get to Ukraine because I haven't really done an in-depth analysis on the show. So I want to paint a picture of what is going on on the ground in Ukraine. And let me just preface this all by saying it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough to be in this situation, trying to report the news, needing to base your reports on legacy media reporting. As you know, I have a very healthy skepticism of the legacy media. They deserve every ounce of skepticism. And so many of the reports that people are putting out today are easily debunkable, often debunked. So much of the stories that have been circulating that have gone viral turned out not to be portraying the thing that they were told uh, to be portraying. It's really hard to even get basic facts down because, again, we are in the fog of war. We don't know who to trust, whose numbers to trust. The Russians are claiming one thing. Ukrainians are claiming something very different. And without being on the ground yourself, without having all of the information available at your fingertips, it's hard to parse through. So for this report, for this timeline, I've tried to rely on what I think are the most sort of straight media outlets, the ones that are can be trusted, mostly the BBC. I find the BBC to be very straight. And yes, I know that they're funded by British taxpayers. Um, however, I generally speaking find that they can be trusted. Same with places like Forbes um, and the Wall Street Journal. So that, so that is what we've based our timeline on, and I'll go through it now. So this all started on February 21st, last Monday, when Putin declared the independence of two Eastern Ukrainian separatist regions. So Russia now recognizes the Donetsk People's Republic and the Lunask People's Republic as independent and separate breakaway regions of Ukraine. Let me just note that most of the people, many of the people who live in these regions are in fact Russian speakers, and they would probably many of them would identify um, as being Russian in the first place. So first, that happened on Monday. By Wednesday, it was very apparent that we were that there was going to be a war, that, that Russia was going to invade, and that that invasion happened late Wednesday night here in North America, February 23rd, or Thursday morning local time on February 24th. We saw a bombing campaign in civilian areas in the city of Kharkiv, as well as Kiev. We're talking about carpet bombs being dropped in civilian areas beginning on February 24th. So Russia quickly took control of the territory of Chernobyl and began launching attacks onto Kiev 
from the north of the city. So as of today, as of recording, the city of Kiev is still being held by Ukraine. That being said, there is heavy military fighting that has continued just outside the city of Kiev, mostly concentrated in and around the airport area. The airport is incredibly strategic and important because, you, as you know, there is military supplies being flown in from all over Europe and from the West to support Ukraine. So Russia wants to cut that off, cut off that bloodline of arms, of military equipment, of resources to try to cut off the Ukrainian um, cut off the Ukrainians from outside support. So that is where the fighting has heavily concentrated. Now, there have already been peace talks that have, have taken place and have failed. So peace talks were scheduled to take place between Ukraine and Russia. They were announced on the 27th, and they did in fact take place on the 28th. They were facilitated in Belarus, but we were told that those negotiations have failed. No ceasefire. So the war continues as of today, Tuesday, March 1st. There is a huge convoy of Russian vehicles that is now advancing on Ukraine's capital. It was 50 miles outside the city. It's now much, much closer. Last night, there were reports saying that it was a five kilometer long convoy. Reports on a Tuesday morning are now saying it is a 27 kilometer long convoy of Russian military vehicles heading towards Kiev. And just as I am recording this, I got a notification from the Wall Street Journal saying that Russia said it would attack intelligence facilities in Kiev and urged residents to leave, signaling a massive strike on civilian areas may be imminent. So again, this is Putin's aggression. His Russian military is advancing. It is hitting civilian targets. He's openly saying that it is hitting civilian targets. There is no disputing that, no doubt about these facts. As for the death toll, again, this is tough to verify, but we did our best. So on Monday, Ukraine reported a civilian death toll of 352. Later that day said that uh, another 11 people were killed by Russian strikes in the city of Kharkiv. The Russian defense minister on Tuesday morning claimed that more than 5,710 Russian soldiers had been killed by Ukrainian forces since the start of the invasion. That number, however, has not been confirmed or verified by Russian officials. Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky has accused the invading Russian forces of engaging war crimes, noting that 16 children have been killed so far, another 45 injured due to Russian bombardments in the first four days of fighting. Gruesome, horrible, horrible stuff. The Daily Mail is reporting that there have been war crimes that have been committed. The International Criminal Court is set to open a probe investigating war crimes and crimes against humanity in Ukraine after invading Russian forces bombed the city of Kharkiv. A rocket landed, this is the way Daily Mail describes it, such an odd way of describing it. A rocket landed in front of the Civilian Public Administration building in Kharkiv on Tuesday morning. Uh, by landed, I think they mean um, detonated, exploded, uh, bombed, um, and it destroyed a road outside as well as blowing windows out of the building itself. So again, we're seeing cluster bombs in civilian areas. We're seeing accusations of war crimes. We're seeing the mass killing of civilians, including children. Gruesome, gruesome stuff. The situation is truly bad. There is not, I don't have a single good word for Vladimir Putin. I believe that he is a tyrant. He is a megalomaniac. He is fueling this war and he is with all likelihood a war criminal full stop. Okay, now that I've established that point, I've established the fact that Putin is a very terrible man. He is loathsome and he is very much at fault here. I want to now talk about something that you will not hear in legacy media, because like I said, all of those reports is what you hear day in, day out from the legacy media. If, you, if you're following this conflict at all, you already know all those things. I wanted to reestablish those points because it's incredibly important to establish that the overwhelming 
bad things that are happening and the crimes are being perpetrated by Russian military, by Vladimir Putin, against Ukrainian people who, by and large, just want to be left alone. They want to be peaceful. They want to live their lives and they don't want to be under Russian control. Okay, so so, so all of those things you can hear about every day, every minute, every second from legacy media journalists. But I want to talk about something now that you will not hear from legacy media. You won't hear from your pundits, your politicians, your policymakers, or your journalists. And that is that we are being inundated right now with outright propaganda. Everything that you see on social media is propaganda. You cannot trust what you see. Images are being distorted and doctored. Footage is being described in the exact opposite manner of what the image depicts. And the reports on the ground are often confusing. They're inaccurate. Sometimes they're flat out wrong. Sometimes we're even seeing video game footage and clear memes from comedians being reported as fact. Again, this is all propaganda. And sadly, the propaganda that we are seeing, and we're seeing just so much, it's emotional driven, it's it's there to manipulate you, to get you on board, to get you in line with this thinking that you're either all in, um, you're either with us or you're against us. Anyone who is not completely repeating the narrative that, that Ukraine is good, everything Ukraine is doing is right, they are just, they are moral crusaders, they're the embodiment of all of our fights for freedom, for all that is good in the world. Anyone who deviates ever so slightly from that narrative is is just flat out accused of treachery and treason, as I will demonstrate in this show. And sadly, many of us in the West know that we are being the victims of propaganda, and yet they share the reports regardless, because the propaganda helps the side that they like. So as long as the propaganda is there to support uh, the people that we like, the side that we're on, then we're just a-okay with sharing propaganda. Keep in mind, a couple of years ago, when ISIS was waging its war across Syria and Iraq, we were repeatedly told and warned that they were using propaganda. They were creating these videos to make themselves look very savvy and cool and look, make war look like fun and show these men um, le leading their way uh, to an Islamic caliphate. The whole thing was designed to manipulate young Muslims from all over the world and convince them to drop their lives and come over and fight for this Islamist caliphate. It was propaganda. And we knew that. And every time they shared a video, it was prefaced saying this is propaganda. Well, with regards to our era and this time that we're living in, digital media and social media, that hasn't changed. And we're watching we're, and we're watching a war. We're watching a conventional war unfold. There's propaganda anywhere, except for we don't have those warnings. We don't have those warnings because the propaganda in, in large part is being used to promote the side that we're on, the Ukrainian side. And so all of this has culminated in elites in our society whipping themselves into a mass hysteria and a moral panic. Again, everything is based on emotion and emotional images are are being used to manipulate us and overwhelm our capacity to think for ourselves, to reason, and to think clearly. Any form of deviation ever so slightly from the media narrative, any sign of dissent, gets quickly equated with being treacherous, being treasonous, being pro-Putin, uh, pro-Russia, being a shill, being a propagandist. So we should be aware of that. We should maintain our healthy skepticism of the legacy media, our healthy skepticism of the Trudeau government and of Chrystia Freeland, and avoid the temptation to jump in and to join the propaganda. So we here at True North put together a little montage of some of the leading examples of this propaganda, because from day one in this war, what we've been seeing on social media is, again, just being inundated with these scenes, with these images, with these pictures, with these videos. Some of them seem like they could have been scripted and set on a uh, film set in Hollywood. They're, they're just so outright uh, propagandistic in their nature, and yet they're being shared broadly by, by respectable people in our society. So we have a couple of examples of that, some of the sort of main stories that you may have seen circulating that have 
unfortunately turned out to be true. And again, you can just see how emotion is driving the way. So here is that montage. I want to key in on one of those stories, which was the image of the tank driving over a car. This was shared millions and millions. I think it had tens, over 10 million views, tens of millions of views on social media. We were told that this was a Russian tank just recklessly uh, endangering human lives and driving over a car miraculously. The driver of the, tr the car was okay. They pulled him out and apparently he was a-okay and alive. Well, it turns out that that story just simply wasn't as it appears. So it has been debunked by both USA Today and France 24. France 24 is one of the uh, largest and most respected news outlets in Europe. So here is the headline over there. Ukraine, these videos do not show a Russian tank running over a civilian. So they do a very thorough bit of research and basically concluded that the video does not show a Russian armored vehicle driving over a car in Kiev. So to verify these videos authenticity, they used geotagging, geolocated the exact place and the date that it took place. It happened in the center of the city of Kiev, which as I mentioned, Kiev is getting bombed, but there is no military presence on the ground in Kiev just yet. There's that convoy heading there and they'll probably be there very soon. But this was circulating from several days ago and there was no military presence on the ground. And so France 24 continues. It says, is it a Russian tank or Ukrainian vehicle? It said, next, we examined the military vehicle involved in the collision. As several journalists and open source investigators claim, the armored vehicle is a Strela 10, a model of anti-aircraft missile launcher used by the Ukrainian army. There are other clues that suggest the vehicle is Ukrainian. For example, there is no large letter Z painted on the side of the tank, something Russian military has used since the start of the conflict as a distinguishing mark to differentiate their equipment from similar Ukrainian models. Moreover, this type of surface-to-air missile launcher isn't designed for close combat in an urban environment. Rather, it is used to support retreating troops, according to Rob Lee, a doctoral student at the Department of War at King's College London. And so they continue to just paint the chaotic scene on the ground. So they're trying to figure out why this possible crash happened. So it says, why did the Ukrainian armored vehicle run over a civilian car in part of Kiev? Other videos shot moments earlier provide some answers to this question. 
We've chosen not to publish them due to their shocking nature. It shows soldiers dressed in Ukrainian uniforms chasing and shooting at the driver of a military truck, which you can see below in red, seconds before the armored vehicle crushed the car. So the man driving the military truck was also wearing a Ukrainian uniform, but soldiers could be heard speaking in the videos, explained that he was suspected to be a Russian saboteur disguised as a Russian soldier. Minutes before the incident occurred, Ukrainian Deputy Minister Anna Miller posted a message on Twitter saying that the Russian army has seized Ukrainian army vehicles and are headed toward the scene. So all this is just to say it's a chaotic scene in Ukraine. Nothing is exactly what it seems. But before we just start sharing videos, sharing tweets, saying that we know exactly what is going on, wh why don't we wait? Why don't we verify things? Why don't we confirm the facts? Because again, the tank driving over a car was not a Russian tank. It was a Ukrainian tank, according to fact checks and reports on the ground. Okay, so what is happening today, Tuesday, March 1st, well, we have the UN General Assembly down in New York. And the big news coming out of the UN General Assembly is that world leaders have walked out of a speech given by the Russian foreign minister. So let me just first by saying that the UN is a pretty toothless organization. The whole idea of, of, of an organization trying to maintain world order and global order without having the threat of force, like you can sit there and you can threaten countries to your heart's content. If you don't have a military to back it up, you are completely useless. And that is what the UN is proving itself to be. It is basically just a club for elites to hang out and enjoy their power and their stature in society. If you're being generous about the United Nations and you and, and you believe in the, the good that can be done through dialogue and conversation, you can say that the purpose of the United Nation is to have meaningful discussions to try to avoid war, right? If we all get together, we listen to each other, we sit in a room together, we try to understand each other, we try to make sense of what's happening in the other person's world try to understand their motivations and what's driving them, maybe that will avoid the, the calamity of war, because war is a truly terrible thing, as we are seeing firsthand. Well, if that is the purpose of a UN, and again, you'd have to have a generous reading of the situation to see it that way, well, then these world leaders have completely undermined the purpose of the UN by walking out and refusing to listen to a Russian give a speech. What, what are they doing? What are they accomplishing? It's performative theater, it's virtue signaling, it's empty rhetoric, empty gestures, which is completely what we have become accustomed to from leaders in the West, from our world leaders. They, they, they don't, they don't want to listen to Russia. Well, congratulations. Congratulations, United Nations. What You've solved this crisis. You've achieved world peace by refusing to listen to those whom you don't agree with. What, what a farce of an organization. Next, we're seeing over-the-top praise, almost godlike treatment of Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. So first off, we started seeing lots and lots of images and lots of people sharing photos of him supposedly on the front line. We were told, that, wow, this man is so heroic. He is he has he's taken off his civilian clothes, he is putting on his combat gear, and he's going to the front line. What a hero, what an absolute saint of a man this is. Well, it turns out that those photos that people were sharing of him on the front lines weren't really photos of him on the front lines. Well, in fact, according to routers and a fact check, those are not current pictures of Vladimir Zelensky on the front lines. No, those were old photographs of him. They were taken several months ago, back in December 2021. They were staged. They were taken by his own photographer in the province of Donetsk. They're not, they're not recent. They're not depicting him fighting today against the Russians. So the verdict from routers fact checked is that this is miscaptioned. Pictures of him are old, haven't been taken back in 2021. And now, now you'll see people sharing them on social media. There is a little a disclaimer uh, saying that uh, what you're what you're seeing is manipulated uh, footage. Basically, it's not um, it's it's taken out of context. 
Well, let's not let facts get in the way of a good narrative. Charles Adler, a radio host with Global, he 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 he, he really takes the cake for the most over-the-top praise. This is so embarrassing. He writes this, Finally, a leader conquering the hearts of democracy-loving people worldwide. His name is Zelensky, the Lion of Kiev. Here in Canada, the anti-Zelensky, Jason Kenney, a poster child for political shrinkage, exploiting the suffering of Ukrainians with another clumsy sales pitch. So what a, what a weird comparison, <laughs> sort of creepy, calling this guy the Lion of Kiev, conquering the hearts of democracy-loving people worldwide. Okay, okay, Charles Adler, you can continue your man crush over there. And talking about uh, crush, this is a tweet that was making the rounds. Unbelievable, as of as of Monday afternoon, this thing had nearly 20,000 retweets and 200,000 likes. Okay, I'll, I'll read you this tweet. It is so embarrassing. Breaking, every woman in your life now has at least a small crush on Vladimir Zelensky, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about uh, fact check, not true. No, not true. Not not every woman has a crush on this guy. By the way, this woman, this super serious policy analyst, is a PhD candidate studying, apparently focusing on U.S. military industrial complex, and she's a senior staffer at the U.K. Parliament, and this is her in insightful analysis all about how women just love this guy, apparently, according to her and the 20,000 people who retweeted her. Okay, Andrew Coyne over at the Globe and Mail, likewise, is adding his praise. He's saying, what the Ukrainians are doing is the most heroic goddamn thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay, Andrew Coyne, again, just so overwhelmed with emotion. It's, it's so hard to be reasonable when you're just inundated with this kind of emotion. And what is, what is Andrew Coyne talking about? Well, it's the report that many Western countries are sending weapons to Ukraine. Ukraine has a very small military. The Russian military spends 10 times as much, and they have at least two times, maybe two or three times as many military personnel. So Russia is clearly outmanned. So what has the West done? Many Western countries, including the UK, Germany, and Belgium, have, rather than sending in their own troops, they're sending weapons. They're sending lots and lots of weapons, automatic rifles, to Ukraine, where they're apparently just handing it out willy-nilly to anyone on the street. Well, we had a report over at True North. I spoke to sources, multiple sources, including people on the ground in Kiev, who described the situation as chaos and anarchy. Sources saying armed bandits are looting and murdering with impunity. So I'll read from the piece it says the situation in Kiev is quote not as black and white as the media is portraying it unquote a source on the ground in Kiev who spoke to True North through a translator said on Sunday people are more scared of the armed citizens than of the Russian military said the source so again the, the, so, so the ones on the ground in Kiev are the civilians who have been given military weapons to defend their city while some of them are engaging in bad behavior looting and killing people lots and lots of scary scenes so the source was a senior who lives right in the center of Kiev he and his wife said they're more scared right now of the looters with the guns. The old man has a military rifle out just in case. Now, the source sent several photos of both dead bodies on the side of a road in Kiev, noting that the picture depicts a family that got killed when they were mistaken for Russians. The source also sent two videos, which were also circulating on the messaging app Telegram, showing what was described as armed citizens. Now, just questioning anyone, in one case, shooting people they deem suspicious, very scary stuff. So again, there are unintended consequences when you just hand out weapons to tens of thousands of people. There was a report as well that they were letting uh, people out of prison who had military experience. So Russia is 
So Ukraine is so desperate for manpower, so desperate for help in terms of people on the ground to fight this war, that they are letting people out of jail, uh, including bad guys, giving them guns and just hoping for the best, hoping nothing bad will happen. Well, there is definitely going to be unattended consequences. And the source also said that they just can't trust the Western media, that the propaganda is out of control and that they, it's hard to get a clear picture of what is going on. I've heard that theme many times. Joe Warmington, my colleague over at the Toronto Sun, had a great piece today saying that it's not an easy time for Canadians with Russian roots. Joe went down to a Russian area in Toronto, spoke to members of the Russian diaspora, Canadians who are originally from Russia, who describe how difficult it is for them. So I'll read from Joe Warmington's piece. Joe Warmington writes, the truth is there are more than 100,000 people in the greater Toronto area of Russian background. No matter what President Vladimir Putin does in Ukraine, each one of them is very much part of our community today as they were before. However, Russian Canadians I spoke to on Monday are worried that this could change. They won't let you write fair things about us, said Alex, standing outside a Russian bakery in the area of Steeles and Bathurst. Tatiana, the owner of a nearby gift shop, echoed the sentiment, are you against me, she asked. But you can see why Tatiana and Alex would feel otherwise when our governments have passed decrees canceling Russian vodka, Russian airlines, Russian banking system, and there's even talk about banning Russian hockey players. And he writes this, leaders should also be reminded not to punish our Russian-Canadian friends for the political decisions made in another country that they have no control over. This is such a good point. Whenever our political leaders are talking about uh, despotic governments and terrible decisions happening in China or Iran, they always go to painstaking efforts to make sure that they're drawing a distinction, not talking about Chinese people, talking about Xi Jinping and the communist government, or not talking about the Iranian people, but talking about Rouhani and the regime and the mullahs. H however, in this situation, you see uh, political leaders just just throwing, throwing out Russians, kind of accusing all Russians. We saw this. Uh, Melanie Jolie, the foreign minister in Canada, condemns Russian invasion. She says, Russia is solely responsible for this crisis. They have chosen deception, intimidation, and manufactured a crisis based on lies and false flag operations. So again, making no distinction, making no effort to distinguish between Putin and the Russian people and just sort of throwing it out, the Russians, the Russians, the Russians. Now, I want to focus back a little bit on Canada and what is happening, because I don't think Chrystia Freeland and Justin Trudeau should get a free pass. I don't think that the way that they are handling this is very good. Now, you won't get this again from legacy media. Here's Andrew Coyne just really openly endorsing Chrystia Freeland. He writes this on Twitter, ringing lines from Freeland. She, she says this, quote, there are moments in history when the great struggle between freedom and tyranny comes down to one fight in one place, which is waged for all humanity. In 1863, that place was Gettysburg. In 1940, it was the skies above Britain. Today, in 2020, it is Kiev. So one week after Chrystia Freeland went on a rampage to freeze people's bank accounts without any due process, without a court order, without the rule of law, not based on the Charter of Rights and Freedoms whatsoever, uh, now all of a sudden she's drawing a black and white line saying freedom versus tyranny are either with us against us and apparently now Chrystia Freeland is on the side of freedom not just on the side of freedom but representative of that whole side of freedom according to Andrew Coyne's ringing endorsement there we've seen lots and lots of people praising Chrystia Freeland hardly any trying to hold her to account so here's another piece I had over at True North Freeland posts and then deletes a photo of her holding a Bandera movement scarf from a pro-Ukraine rally in Toronto on Sunday so yes 
Freeland was caught holding a pro-Nazi banner at a Ukraine protest. You will not see this being covered in the legacy media. Unfortunately, I want to go through the story in some depth because I think it is incredibly, incredibly important. So our finance minister, who also happens to be the deputy prime minister, she's a former minister of foreign affairs, Christia Freeland. She was photographed on Sunday with a scarf that promotes a far-right Ukrainian national movement linked to Nazis, neo-Nazis, and extremism. So remarkably, Christia Freeland posted the photo herself on her own social media accounts, apparently ignorant of the radical far-right movement the scarf represents. So here is that image. She shows a picture of her, and she's clearly holding up this scarf, this black and red scarf. You can see her hand on it right there. She is smiling while she obviously realized that that was a very bad idea because of what the scarf represents. So that tweet was quickly deleted. The Instagram post was deleted and she posted the exact same message. We stand united. We stand with Ukraine. She rewrote it in French and then again in Ukrainian at the bottom, but she found a different version of the picture where she was not carrying the scarf, which again is sort of a tacit acknowledgement that she should not have been posting that photo with the scarf. So let me tell you a little bit about the scarf. The red and black flag, that red and black on the scarf has historically represented the Bandera movement in Ukraine. So what is the Bandera movement? Well, it is named after Stefan Bandera, who was an nationalist Ukrainian politician during the Second World War. He is accused of war crimes and leading atrocities against Jewish and Polish people in Ukraine during the Second World War. He was a collaborator with the Nazis. He sided with the Nazis. Let me note that he is an incredibly polarizing figure in Ukraine because some love him. Some people in Ukraine love him. They view him as a national hero who fought and helped achieve Ukrainian independence, whereas other people, again, see him as a Nazi collaborator, a war criminal, and a Nazi, uh, uh, someone who, who led war crimes and atrocities. So back in April 2021, Euronews described Bandera and the UPA movement as Nazi collaborators and war criminals. Let me read from that. It says Bandera and the UPA are controversial for several reasons. Critics point to the mass killings of up to 100,000 Jews and Poles and the fact that the UPA cooperated with Nazi Germany at the beginning of World War II. Now, many on social media are saying, well, Christia Freeland didn't know that. How, how would she know that she was holding this scarf and what it meant? Uh, let me just remind you that Christia Freeland is Ukrainian. She's a Ukrainian-Canadian. That's how she describes herself. She speaks Ukrainian. She's fluent in that language. As you can see, she posts in the Ukrainian language. She presents herself as being incredibly politically savvy, this international player. She went to Harvard. She worked for Bloomberg. She's traveled all over the world. She's lived all over the world. She was considered persona non grata by the Russians because of her involvement in Ukraine political scene. So she's incredibly well-versed in Ukrainian politics and culture. And yet you're telling me that she didn't realize what she was holding. She didn't realize what this banner represents. Give me a break. Chrissy Freeland is either very, very stupid or more likely she thinks you're very, very stupid and that she can get away with holding up a banner that may be popular among a certain segment of the diaspora, of the Ukrainian diaspora and get away with it, knowing that no one in the media will hold her to account. Well, that's pretty much exactly right because no one in the legacy media is covering this aside from True North, aside from a couple of people on social media. And, and again, just to underscore how prominent the idea of the Bandera movement it is very, very well known for people who follow Russia and Ukrainian politics. So back in 2017, there was a sort of glowing profile on Chrystia Freeland in iPolitics, in the political journal iPolitics, talking about how she'd become Canada's foreign affairs minister, she'd become Canada's top 
diplomat, and the Bandera movement is specifically mentioned in this piece because at the time, powerful Russian interests were accusing Chrystia Freeland of being pro-Bandera movement. So I'll read you a bit from this iPolitics piece. It says, some voices close to the Kremlin will predictably disparage Freeland's appointment. In addition to being a critic of the current Russian government, she's also of Ukrainian heritage. Some Russian voices like to accuse Canada's government of being enthralled to a powerful Ukrainian diaspora. In 2015, a spokesman for the Russian government-owned oil company Rosneft claimed that Canadian sanctions against Russia's energy sector were inspired by pro-Bandera lobbyist Stefan Bandera was this anti-Soviet Ukrainian partisan who was allied with Nazi Germany for some time during the Second World War. Of course, it doesn't help that Christia Freeland's own grandfather was a Nazi collaborator. This is reported by the Ottawa Citizen back in 2017, back before they got the $600 million grant from the Trudeau government and they used to do actual journalism. They wrote, the headline was, Christia Freeland's granddad was indeed a Nazi collaborator in Ukraine. He was the chief editor of a Nazi propaganda newspaper during the Second World War. The Globe and Mail reported that they reached out to Christia Freeland's office and they denied it. They denied that her grandfather was a Nazi collaborator, but the Globe later reported that Christia Freeland did in fact know about her family history. She had known this for decades. Now, now let's take a step back. All of this creates two major problems for Christia Freeland. I will walk you through both of them right now. The first problem this creates for Christia Freeland is the tremendous double standard in the eyes of Canadians. So just weeks ago, just weeks ago, Justin Trudeau and his allies in the legacy media, they relentlessly smeared every single conservative MP as Nazis. They called them Nazis. Why? Because one still unidentified provocateur crashed the protest, was there for a short period of time near the protest before quickly disappearing. And yes, he had a Nazi flag. Justin Trudeau infamously accused a conservative MP of Jewish heritage, Melissa Lansman, of, quote, standing with those who wave swastikas. They, they happily smeared an entire group of working class people and conservatives because of the actions of one individual who was there with that despicable Nazi flag. Well, in the case of Christia Freeland at the Ukrainian rally in Toronto, she wasn't simply spotted at the same rally as a Nazi. No, no, no. She was literally holding the flag that represents a Nazi movement. So again, just flat out double standard. Now, the second problem this presents for Christia Freeland is a problem with her image abroad. The first was her problem here in Canada. The second is a problem for her image abroad. So Christia Freeland and the Liberals right now are opening themselves up to smears and propaganda from the Putin regime. So when Putin announced his invasion into Ukraine, the justification that he gave was to denazify the country. That is what he said. He said that there is a Nazi element in Ukraine and they are there to denazify the country. Make no mistake, Putin's war efforts rely on propaganda, which presents the Ukrainian government, the Ukrainian military, and Ukraine's allies in the West, including Chrystia Freeland, as supporting an extremist, far-right Nazi movement in Ukraine. That is what Putin is banking on, and that is what Chrystia Freeland just fell into. So when a prominent Western leader is photographed with a banner that represents a Nazi movement, she is naively playing into Vladimir Putin's hands. So Chrystia Freeland can scrub her own social media to her heart's content, but the reality is the photo of her carrying the black and white scarf, the Bandera scarf, is making the rounds on social media and is being used on other news sites. Here it is being used on an NPR affiliate showing Chrystia Freeland with that flag. This is a significant misstep by Christia Freeland. And if we had a free press, they would be covering this. They would be talking about this. They would be analyzing it. They would be 
covering it because it's newsworthy. It's interesting. It's important. And again, Christia Freeland is falling into the trap of Putin and his propaganda. But the problem is here in Canada, you cannot trust the legacy media. You simply can't. And this war that we're seeing play out on social media is simply amplifying that fact. We are in the midst of the fog of war. We're being heavily inundated with propaganda from all sides, from both sides, from all sides. We need to be aware of that. We need to remain vigilant, remain skeptical, try to verify, try to vet every single thing that you're seeing because there is a heck of a lot of fake news out there. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show.